If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, and I hope that you do, uh, let's turn together to Daniel chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one provided for you there in your pew. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we've been uh, walking through this book uh, a little bit at a time on our way through this series, uh, studying really this life of an extraordinary young man, but ultimately what we're finding demonstrated to us over and over again throughout the book of Daniel is not so much the heroism of Daniel, uh, but the faithfulness of God and the sovereignty of God in, in all circumstances. And we find this again as we end the chapter here in Daniel chapter 2, as we finally have made our way now to the dream that Daniel is going to interpret for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this morning, we're going to read verses 31 to the end of the chapter, and so I would invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word together this morning. Daniel chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 31. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and of clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth." This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. And after you there will rise another kingdom inferior to you, and then another kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom. As strong as iron, insomuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will endure itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw a stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon, while Daniel was at the king's court. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
Last week, we looked at the proper response to answered prayer. And there in the mid part of Daniel chapter 2, as the prayer of Daniel and his friends was answered and God gave to them uh, not only the interpretation of the dream, but the dream itself, so that Daniel could go before Nebuchadnezzar boldly and declare these things, uh, we saw Daniel respond in praise and adoration to God and thankfulness to God. But I want you to go back just for a moment as we kind of, again, set the, 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 the moment of where we are in this situation uh, back to verse 24. In verse 24, Daniel goes in, and again, he tells uh, Ariak, the, the king's bodyguard, uh, that he has the interpretation of the dream. With the knowledge that God has given Daniel, he goes to relay this news. Daniel is filled with such boldness and confidence, not only to go into the king the first time to ask for this chance, but now to go back before the king and declare to him what has been given to him in this vision at night. Daniel was filled with confidence and boldness because he had a complete trust in God. And we're reminded what we saw last week was that Daniel's trust in God was a trust that came from his understanding of who God was. And how is that related to Daniel? It had been related to Daniel throughout the countless centuries of God being faithful to his people. And Daniel knew that God does not change. So if he was faithful to his people yesterday, he will be faithful to his people today. And if he's faithful to his people today, he will be faithful to his people tomorrow. So Daniel knew in great confidence that he could go boldly before the king because God had given him this wisdom. God had given him this understanding. So Daniel goes back before the king and he tells him, I have the interpretation. I have the, the interpretation of the dream in order to be able to give it to the king. The king asked Daniel directly there in verse 26, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen and its interpretation? Remember, the king didn't just want to know what his dream meant. He wanted to actually know what the dream was. He was testing all of his wise men. So now it was all on the line for Daniel. He had an opportunity now that he was either going to make it or break it when it came to the king. He was either going to declare this and prove the God of Israel to be a true God, to be the true God, to be a God of power, or he was going to royally mess it up. But Daniel knew. His confidence and trust was not built upon himself. His faithfulness to God was going to be demonstrated in the fact that God had given him exactly what he needed for this moment. I remind you again of what Daniel said in chapter in verse 27, because this comes back in just a little bit later. Daniel said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. You remember the wise men even said this, this is impossible, Nebuchadnezzar. We can't, we can't do what you're asking us to do. We could give you the interpretation of a dream you tell us, but we can't tell you the dream and then tell you the interpretation. But I love verse 28. I emphasized this last week, but it, but it deserves to be emphasized again. Daniel said, you know, king, that it's impossible to do what you've, been asked, what you've asked us to do. All your wisest men in Babylon have told you so. This is an impossible task. There's no wise man, no conjurer, no mission, magician, no diviner who's able to do it. Verse 28, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I've thought about that, that line there in verse 28 over and over this week. We can throw that line in a lot of places in our own lives when we face difficult circumstances, right? This is a situation that's impossible. There's no one on earth 
who can fix this problem. However, there is a God in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of that. That oftentimes in this life, what looks in front of us, what stands in front of us is impossible by any strength that we have. No one else on earth can accomplish it. However, there is a God in heaven who can do it. And if we're doing what God has called us to do, if we're trying to live our lives to be faithful to him, trying to live our lives to be obedient to him, then we can trust that the God in heaven is going to do exactly what we need to be done. He's going to do exactly what is needed in our lives. So Daniel says, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. Daniel is getting ready to give the dream and to give its interpretation, and all of this is about what's going to happen in the future. The dream was not about things in the past. It was a dream about things in the future. And what Daniel is revealing here is not something vague or, or generalized, which is oftentimes what these wise men did for the king. They would come in and offer some kind of vague generalities as they interpret his dream. Daniel's interpretation of this dream is a clear and bold prophecy about things that Daniel could have no knowledge of. This is, again, demonstrating the sovereignty of God because all events from, from, from the very before the foundation of time until Jesus returns, all of these things have already been laid out in God's sovereign plan. God knew what was going to happen yesterday. He knows what's going to happen today. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And God knows what's going to happen 100, 200, 500 years from now if the Lord tarries. He knows it all because he put it all into motion. It's all happening according to his sovereign plan. So how could Daniel know what was going to happen hundreds of years after he lived? Because God had already put it into motion. It was all part of God's plan. So God could reveal this to Daniel, and Daniel could reveal this to Nebuchadnezzar, and in doing so, demonstrating the complete sovereignty of God, but also demonstrating God's faithfulness. And what God is going to do, not just now here in Babylon through his people, but ultimately what God is going to do through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 29, and as Daniel talks about this, he says, God reveals these mysteries made known to you what will take place. We need to remember this. Daniel, again, is not offering an interpretation of what he thinks is going to happen. Daniel isn't offering an interpretation here of what he says these things will take place. You can bet your money on it. It is as sure as anything else in the world. If God has said it, if God has declared it, it will come to pass. What an encouragement that is to us as God's people. If God has says it, if God has promised it, it will come to pass. That may not be in the timeline that we desire. It may not be when we think it should happen, but it will come to pass. God intended to make clear to Nebuchadnezzar what his life held in store, but also what the future held. So I want you to notice first with me the dream recalled. So now, This is an incredible moment here. Right? Because Daniel, again, is not just interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, as many wise men had supposedly done before. Daniel here in this first moment is without prompting, without any hints, without any suggestions, without any idea of what the king's dream was. Daniel is going to stand before the king and say, King, here is what your dream was. 
Now, all of us in the room, we, we dream at night. Science tells us that we dream every night. Most of the time, we don't remember what our dream was when we wake up in the morning. But spouses, how would you feel if your, if your spouse woke up and said, I had a dream last night. Why don't you tell me what that dream was? It's impossible, right? There's no way. I mean, especially if you have crazy dreams like I have, there's no way that somebody could just sit out and say, here's what you dreamed last night. But this is exactly what Daniel's doing. It's a beautiful, again, picture of God's sovereignty and power. So notice there in verse 31, he says, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. And that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. So you could almost picture in your mind this dream. Nebuchadnezzar standing, perhaps he's standing out on the edge of the porch of his, of, his, of his palace there. He's looking out, and here is this giant statue, large and of extraordinary splendor. So we, we picture just this, this monolithic, huge statue that Nebuchadnezzar is staring upon. It says its appearance was awesome, it's because, and it's really basically because of not only its size, but because of its construction. It's impressive not just because of how big it is, but because of the different types of metals that it's made up of. It says the head was made of fine gold. Its breast and its arms, so its chest and its arms were made of silver. And then its belly and its thighs were made of brawn, and then its legs were iron, and in the feet were a, a, a weird mixture of both iron and clay. So it's a very unusual statue. And Daniel says in verse 34, you continued looking until a stone cut without hands struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. So what we understand is, is that impressive as this statue was, as the dream went on, it was demonstrated that as big as it was and as strong as it seemed and as valuable as it seemed, that it was not permanent. It was not undestructible because all of a sudden in the midst of this dream, a stone cut without hands strikes the statue on the feet, and it crushes the feet. The feet of the statue begin to be destroyed. He continues in verse 35, and then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all crushed at the same time and became like chaff from the supper threshing floor, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. Now, can you imagine this? That this giant statue in this dream, all of a sudden a stone comes, crushes the feet, and then crushes the entire statue. But it says that all of these elements, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, were all crushed at the same time. So you imagine this giant statue just being crushed and not just falling into rubble. But Daniel says that in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that they were crushed like chaff from the summer threshing floors. They were grinded down almost into a powder, and the wind carried them away, and not a trace of them was found. Have you ever seen them when, they, uh, uh, when a construction crew uh, destroys a building and they're getting ready to build a new building on the site, so they bring in a demolition crew and they place explosives in the building and then they you know, count to three and it's a big spectacle and the building falls down. Now, when they destroy that building, there's still the building there, right? It, it's, it's not, it doesn't disappear. It doesn't cease to exist. It's just in a different pile of rubble than it was before. But Daniel says here that after this stone falls upon this gold and iron and silver, that the wind, it crushes them so much that the wind carries them away and there's nothing left. It's totally gone. 
And then he continues on. He says, then that stone which fell upon the statue and crushed it into powder, he says, that stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So something interesting is happening here. Now, what, what is this statue? What does it represent? Who, who, what is this stone? And why does it crush the statue? Why does it grind it to powder? And then why does this stone grow into this great mountain? This was your dream, Daniel says. Now we will tell the interpretation to the king. Now, Daniel had given to the king his dream. Now, we understand that it must be accurate for really two reasons. One, and most importantly, God had given Daniel this vision, so we know that it was true. And secondly, Daniel is not interrupted by the king during the midst of his speech. There's no doubt that the king in this moment is standing there, maybe a little bit of slack-jawed because he's, he's been trying to find someone who could tell him his dream and hit a dead end at every time. And now here is Daniel before him, and he has perfectly relayed to the king every minute detail of this dream. And this is a dream, remember, that Daniel tells us in the opening parts of chapter 2 that had greatly troubled the king. He was sleepless over this dream. He wanted to know what it meant because it had troubled him so deeply. So we can, in, in my mind, I kind of picture the king sitting there, and as Daniel is relaying this dream and getting all the details so accurately right, you can almost imagine the king, if he's sitting in his throne, he's kind of inching his way closer towards Daniel, leaning in and just waiting right? Because he wants to know, what, what does this mean? What, is, what, is, what, is, what are the spirits? What is a God? What is someone trying to tell me through this dream? So the dream was recalled, but now I want you to notice that the dream was also interpreted. Verse 37, Daniel starts out and he says, O king, you are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power the strength and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky, he has given them to you into your hand and caused you to rule over them all. It's interesting here, right? Because we know how evil Nebuchadnezzar was. We know how wicked Babylon was. But here Daniel is saying, you, O king, are, are the king of kings. You are, you are the greatest ruler right now on the face of the earth. You're the one who has been exalted. You're the one who has everything, all the power, all the strength, all the glory. He says, not only the sons of men, anyone who dwells or the beasts of the field. He says, God has given all of them into your hand and caused you to rule over them all. But notice what he's saying there. Because it'd be very easy, and we understand that it was very easy for Nebuchadnezzar because he says so in the coming chapters. To think that everything that Babylon was, everything that Babylon would be, everything that he was as a king was all because of who he was. Nebuchadnezzar, the great ruler. Nebuchadnezzar, the wise ruler. Nebuchadnezzar, the, the mighty ruler. Nebuchadnezzar, the wealthy ruler. But Daniel is pointing out very clearly, and, and I want you to remember how courageous that Daniel would have to be in this moment because he knows Nebuchadnezzar. He knows Nebuchadnezzar's mindsets and how self-proud he is of everything that he's done. But what Daniel is saying is, he says, you have all of these things. He says, but it's God who's done it. It's God who has put you in this place. It is God who has given you all of this. And notice what he says at the end of verse 38. He says, you are the head of gold. 
So now we're getting somewhere in this interpretation. Remember this great statue? Gold there at the top and then silver and then bronze and then iron. He says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head. You're the head of gold. God raises up rulers and God casts them down. Babylon was a powerful kingdom, but it was only powerful because God had made it so. Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty ruler and leader, but it was only because God had made it so. And so Nebuchadnezzar is this head of gold. It symbolizes the wealth and the power of the Babylonian empire. It symbolizes the the might of who Nebuchadnezzar was. In my mind, again, you can almost picture Nebuchadnezzar as, as Daniel says this to him, that you are the head of gold. You can almost imagine him going, yeah, I am. That's right. That's who I am. Because he doesn't really understand what's getting ready to take place. So Daniel continues. He says, after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, and then another kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the earth. So what we find here in in Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is that what God has shown to Nebuchadnezzar is the sequence of events that's going to take place in the kingdoms of the world from the time of Babylon until the time of Christ. That there are going to be these subsequent kingdoms that arise, some in great power, some in great splendor, some in great strength, but all of them are going to be laid out here. So now we start with the head of gold, which is Babylon, and Daniel says there will arise another kingdom inferior. This is the, 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 uh, the chest and the arms of silver. And this was the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire captured Babylon in 538 BC and ruled for about 200 years. It wasn't a great a kingdom as Babylon, but they were able to overcome Babylon and defeat that kingdom. And so they began to rule. And then he says there'll be a third kingdom, a kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the earth. That third kingdom was the kingdom of the Greeks. 39 Uh, right after the the, the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, Alexander the Great is perhaps the most well-known person of the Greek Empire. He was the one who defeated the Persians. It is said that Alexander the Great conquered all of the known earth at that time. And in fact, it's said that as he went as far as India in around 323 B.C., that after he got to India and they conquered that land, that Alexander the Great began to weep because there were no more lands on the earth for him to conquer. This is how great the Greek empire was. But as great as it was, Daniel says there will be a fourth kingdom. Verse 40, as strong as iron, insomuch as iron crushes and shatters all things so that like iron that breaks into pieces, it will crush and break all these pieces. So you have Babylon, the Persians, the Greeks, but even as great as Alexander was, even as great as the Greeks were, then along came the Romans. And the Romans conquered the Greeks in around 65 or 63 B.C. And they began to set up their great empire. And this is what is recognized here as this fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, because the military might and power of the Roman Empire was almost unstoppable. It would crush and shatter everything that stood in its place. It defeated the great Greek Empire and began to set up its own territories all across of Europe and Asia and Africa. But there was a problem, or there would be a problem, Daniel is saying, with this kingdom. Because in verses 41 and 42, he points out the fact that the feet and the toes 
were partly of iron and partly of clay. The legs were iron. It symbolized the strength. But the feet, however, were a mixture of iron and clay. Now, if you know anything about elements, you know that iron and clay do not mix. You cannot put the two together. And so it points out this divided kingdom. It points out the weakness of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was characterized most of its time by division. They could really never unify all the people in all the different territories of the Roman Empire. They had a great expansive reach, but they had all of these divided kingdoms inside of the Roman Empire. They were strong militarily. They were strong in their power. But really, if we want to be honest, their, their weakness came from their lack of morality. It was a kingdom that was divided. You can't have a kingdom that is strong empirely, strong in military, but then fail morally. This is the great end of all empires, right? When, when morality ceases to exist in a culture, it doesn't matter how much military strength you have, you'll fall apart from the inside out. And this is exactly what happened to the Roman Empire. So Daniel has laid out this, that what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about in this statue was these kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, the Greeks, and Rome. Now, this brings us all the way up to the time of Jesus, right? And this, this is one of the most beautiful parts about this passage here in Daniel chapter 2, because God is not just giving Nebuchadnezzar a future history lesson, right? He's not just talking about, here's how you can know what kingdoms are going to rise and fall, because what importance would that be for Nebuchadnezzar? But look at verse 44. Verse 44 says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw a stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold... The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future, so the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. What we see here pictured is that there, is come, there has come a kingdom, Christ's kingdom, that God set up that has destroyed all the earthly kingdoms of this world. We have to really put ourselves in the mindset of, of what this was like in Daniel's day. And today we have great countries and there are political leaders all across the world. But no one really has the great strength and power that the Babylonians did, or the Greeks did, or the Persians did, or that the Romans did. Uh, this great military force that would conquer seemingly all the known world at that time. We really don't understand what that looks like in a scale in our time and life. But for Daniel to say that God is going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed was something so profound here in this moment. So what is the days of those kings? Well, the days of those kings was the four kingdoms that were pictured there, here in this passage. And I want you to notice four things, and Sinclair Ferguson points these out in his commentary on this passage. There are four things that we can understand about this kingdom that God establishes here, or that Daniel's talking about in verse 44. Number one, it's God's creation. He says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. This is not a kingdom that is by men's strength. It's not a kingdom that is by men's intelligence or by men's power. This is a kingdom that is firmly established by the God of heaven. 
And if it's set up by the God of heaven, we understand that there is nothing on this earth that can fight back against it. This is the encouraging thing about what Daniel is saying. And again, this speaks to Daniel's boldness because what Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar is, Nebuchadnezzar, no matter how great you are, no matter how powerful you think you are, no matter how great you think the kingdom of Babylon is, God is going to establish a kingdom that's far greater and will crush every other kingdom of the world. Secondly, we can see that it's an indestructible kingdom. It says, which will not be destroyed. This kingdom that God established through Christ is a kingdom that will not ever disappear. What is this kingdom? It's Christ's kingdom. It's the church. It's the kingdom of God. It's what God's doing on the earth. And what did Jesus say? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. This kingdom that Christ has established in his ruling and reigning on the earth will never disappear. This should be encouraging to us this morning that God's kingdom is fully established and it's not going anywhere. Right now, I know that all of us are fully aware of what's happening in the Middle East. There's wars happening, breaking out, battles, planes being, bombs being dropped, people being brutally killed. But guess what? None of that changes who God is in his kingdom. No matter how great political leaders rise up, none of it stops the kingdom of God. Even if some great political power could rise up and conquer all the known modern world and set themselves up on the throne and declare Christianity to be obsolete and and illegal, guess what? It doesn't change a thing because God's kingdom is greater. It's indestructible. It tells us in this passage too, not only is it indestructible, but it's all victorious. That kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. There's never been a kingdom on this earth that never lost a battle except for the kingdom of God. And we will never lose. God is fighting his battles and he has never lost a single one. And it's a universal kingdom. We have to go back to verse 35 to see that. But in the interpretation or when he's giving the dream, he says that that stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. God's kingdom is not isolated to one region on the face of the earth, but God's kingdom is all-encompassing. It's universal. It spreads to the entirety of the globe. That means every place that we can put our feet down on the face of the earth, it all belongs to God. Every bit of it is God's kingdom. There's not a single place on this earth that God has not commanded us to go and to declare the truth and the power of who he is. You know, a lot of times Christian missionaries are criticized because they go into the dark and difficult places, into places that have never heard the gospel before, places that have never been contacted by outside human beings. And people say, you should not go there. You should not do that. But let me remind you this morning, that's God's kingdom. And he's commanded us to go. He's commanded us to go to every single place on the face of this earth and to declare the truth and the power of who Christ is. This is God's kingdom. It's Christ. It's set up by God. It will not be destroyed. And what is this stone? He says in verse 45, inasmuch as you saw a stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands. Well, who is this stone? Well, it's Christ, the chief cornerstone. Right? Remember, all throughout the scriptures, we're reminded of this fact. Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. First Peter chapter 2, for this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious corner. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. 
The precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. The scripture over and over again points to Christ as the chief cornerstone. He is the stone cut without hands, but it's cut by God. He has been put in a position upon which everything that this kingdom is built upon is built upon Jesus Christ. He is the supreme over all the other kings and kingdoms of this world. It says that it crushes the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. All of the kingdoms of this earth are subservient to Christ and His kingdom. And they will all fall down before Him. It will be crushed, as the Scripture said earlier, into powder and blown away as the wind. It reminds us of what the Scripture says in Psalm chapter 2. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Here again, the psalmist is speaking of the same thing that Daniel speaks of here, that Jesus Christ in his coming is establishing a kingdom to which all will bow before him. All will be his servants. But remember, Daniel said that in that dream that the statue grew and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. God's kingdom starts here as this stone, but then it grows into this great mountain, and we see Jesus Christ coming. God in the flesh. One man with 12 apostles. Seemingly insignificant, right? What can 13 men do? But God took the chief cornerstone, and he sat it there in its place and he built a foundation with the apostles upon which every one of us is built upon as the church. And that building continues to grow. That mountain continues to go. Remember Jesus' parable about the mustard seed? Right? There's so small a seed is planted in the ground, grows into so great a tree. Just like this rock, this stone cut without hands grew into a great mountain that encompassed the whole earth. God's kingdom continues to grow in its strength and its power until it fully accomplishes everything that God has ordained for it to do. E.J. Daniels pointed out there's a couple of things here in this passage that we can be reminded of. Number one, that the people of God already belong to the kingdom of God. We're not waiting for this kingdom. We already belong to it. When Jesus came and he said, all power and all authority has been given to me in heaven, where? And on the earth. Jesus is not waiting to rule over the earth. He's already ruling over the earth. Brothers and sisters, think about how horrible this place would be if Jesus was not ruling and reigning. Think about this. He is ruling and reigning. That's how we can do what he's called us to do. How do we have the strength to evangelize? How do we have the strength to have faith and to trust God each and every day? It's because Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning in his kingdom. So we're already a part of the kingdom of God. And secondly, E.J. Daniel says this, the people of God have the assurance from God's word of the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. There are days when things seem dark. There are days when things seem difficult. But we're reminded that God's kingdom is ultimately victorious. And we don't have to live in discouragement and doubt. 
And think about what an encouragement this would have been for Daniel, right? It's an encouragement for us now several thousand years later, but even for Daniel, this would have been an encouragement because he knew what this dream was saying. He's saying as great as Babylon was, it would not always be so. As great as the Persians would be and the Greeks would be and the Romans would be, it would not always be so because God was going to fulfill his promise to his people. He was going to send a Messiah to come and to provide reconciliation back to God. And in doing so, he was going to establish an earthly kingdom that could not be conquered, a powerful kingdom that could not be conquered by any other earthly kingdoms. This gave Daniel and his friends great hope in the midst of exile in Babylon. And it gives us great hope in our lives too. I was meeting with a friend this past week, and we were talking about when we experience worry and anxiety. And he said, you know, I remind people, he said, the most of the time, the things that we worry about, he said, if we're really honest with ourselves, five years from now, the things we're worrying about now will not matter at all. We will fret and be anxious and worried over decisions that we have to make tomorrow or things that are going to happen tomorrow. But if we're really honest, five years from now, it's not going to matter. It's going to be insignificant. And brothers and sisters, if we will remember the fact that God has promised us that we are a victorious people, that he has handled all things, that he has conquered all things, and that everything happens according to his sovereign will and purpose in our lives, what does the scripture say? That God causes what? All things to work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I have to remind myself of that. I have to beat myself in the head with that almost every day. Because I'm prone to worry. I'm prone to be anxious. But I have to remind myself of this fact that it's like God is ruling and reigning. And he will work it all for good. I just have to believe. I have to trust and know that he's a good God. He's a faithful God. And he will do those things for us. Notice what Daniel says there. He says, so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Brothers and sisters, we can take God at his word. If God says it, we can believe it. Now here Daniel is talking about the specific prophecy because he's giving this to Nebuchadnezzar. But, but inside of this book, inside of this thing that we hold in our hands and we carry home with us is the very word of God. And we can take God as his word. If he says it in here, it is true and it is trustworthy. There's not very many things that we can trust in this world. In fact, there's only one thing that we can trust with absolute certainty every single time, and that is the Word of God. It's true and it's trustworthy, and we hold ourselves to it. Now, finally this morning, I want you to notice in these last verses, not just the dream recalled and the dream interpreted, but I want you to notice faithfulness rewarded here. In verse 46, it tells us that after Daniel finished, that Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him with an offering and fragrant incense. Now this, this, is, this is crazy, right? He, here's the king of Babylon, this great ruler who pays homage. He's basically almost treating Daniel like a great king or a god. He's falling down and paying homage to him, falling on his face. There's nothing you can do in this period of time that, that signifies a greater respect towards someone than laying down on your face before them. So Nebuchadnezzar prostrates himself on the floor before Daniel, and not only that, but offers an offering and a sacrifice on Daniel's behalf. Nebuchadnezzar is so taken aback by what has been given. 
Not only that Daniel could know his dream, but now he has been given this great interpretation. He was so thankful. He was so cognizant of something that even he didn't totally understand at this moment. That he did the only thing he knew to do as a worldly king. Right? A worldly king, if somebody did something great for you, this is what you did in response. So this is Nebuchadnezzar's only known response. Well, he, he doesn't know how to respond to it in any other way but than just by almost worshiping Daniel in a sense. But Daniel rejects that. He's not asking Nebuchadnezzar to do that. But there's some interesting words that we find in verse 47. He says, Then the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now, this is not a conversion experience from Nebuchadnezzar. He, he knows about God now, but he doesn't know who God is. It's not a statement of faith, but just purely a recognition of God's power. And we see this happening in the Scriptures. It's possible for someone who is far from God as a part of a relationship to recognize the power of God in someone else's life. And perhaps you've had that happen in your own life where God does something in your life, where even others around you recognize it and see it, even if they can't explain it or put it into words what's actually happening. So Daniel, I mean, so Nebuchadnezzar here is just basically declaring that, Daniel, your God is a God, right? I, before, I would not have recognized the God of Israel as someone to be worshipped, but now notice he, it's very generalized here. He says, your God is a God of gods, plural, and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. But there is something happening here. Now Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that the God of Israel has some kind of power, some kind of authority, because he's done something through Daniel that could not be done by even the wisest men in all of Babylon. Now, later on in Nebuchadnezzar's life, we see that he comes to a more certain understanding of who this God is, but it has not yet happened. But why is God allowing all this to take place? Well, verse 48 tells us, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel was promoted by the king. He was given great gifts. He was rewarded for all of this. Daniel is receiving things. Even though he just trusted in the Lord, the Lord is rewarding Daniel's faithfulness. Daniel trusted the Lord. Daniel was obedient to the Lord. Daniel had faith in the Lord. And now God says, because you are willing to do that, I'm going to allow you to experience this reward. But it was not without purpose, right? Because in doing so, God was establishing Daniel in the perfect place for Daniel to accomplish everything else that God wanted to do in Babylon through the midst of this exile of his people. Daniel is being taken. Think about this. He's being taken as an exile from Israel. He was a captive. He was a prisoner. And he was put through the king's training camp. And now, because of this situation, God has moved him from, from being a prisoner and a captive to now being high in the command of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Because now he's going to have the ability to help and to accomplish the things that God wants to do. God's reward extended from Daniel to, only, to also his friends. Because notice the first thing that Daniel did after he had been made prefect was he made requests to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon. God didn't just reward Daniel in this, in, this, uh, in this powerful way, but he also rewarded 
his friends as well, putting all of them in a, power of, in a place of power and prominence to continue to do his work in Babylon. Let's not miss the fact that in every place that Daniel was, he was obedient to God in the midst of his circumstances. When he was in exile, he was obedient to God. When he was being trained in the king's uh, court, he was obedient to God. And now when he's placed in this position of power and prominence, he remains obedient to God. God puts us in the places that we need to be at the appropriate times. And what God expects from us is to remain obedient to him, that he may use us for his glory wherever we are. Every one of us in this room are going to be in different places in our lives. Whether it's with our families, whether it's with our employment. Some of us may get a great promotion that puts us in a place of power and prestige. Some of us may never see that. But what God is asking for us is to remain obedient and faithful to him wherever he places us. Because God is going to put us in those circumstances. God is going to put us in those places in order for what? That we may continue to accomplish his perfect will and do what he's called us to do. That we may use those places and those positions for the good of the kingdom of God. Daniel was faithful. And in the midst of this interpretation, the church, Daniel himself, all of us have been given this great encouragement. That God has established a kingdom that is without end, that is without conquering. It cannot be defeated. It will rule and it will reign forevermore. We belong to this kingdom, brothers and sisters. This is our kingdom. He is our Lord. He is our king. And we have great hope if we trust in him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Daniel's faithfulness that continues to be an encouragement to our hearts and our spirits. But Father, we thank you most of all for your, the picture of your sovereignty in Daniel's life. That, Lord, brings us encouragement on a daily basis. Lord, we need to be reminded of your sovereignty every single day. We need to be reminded every day, Father, that nothing happens in this life by accident. Nothing happens in this life by chance, but is all a part of your perfect will and plan. Lord, help us to remember who you are and what you're doing and to trust even when circumstances seem outside of our control that we would be as Daniel did. When, when, when control seemed to be removed from him, he just continued to trust in you. He brought it before you. He prayed. He sought your face. And you were faithful to answer. Lord, help us to be the same. That when things around us seem to be falling apart, when chaos seems to be supreme, Lord, we will pray. We will trust in you. And Lord, see your hand at work. Father, we thank you for this time together. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name.